welcome to the Flex Success Podcast, where we teach you how to be less shit. Covering all things science relating to nutrition, training, recovery, and more. Who knows, we might even sprinkle in a dick joke or two. <laughs> welcome back, everybody. As always, my name's Dean. I'm with the co-host, uh, Lizzie. And we are back for a flex podcast with two men that are in a non-monogamous but also abstinence-focused relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Jason and Ben from SDC Fit and SDC Fit Learning Boys, welcome. Howdy. Thank you. That was a very good introduction. <laughs> yeah. Well, and very the nail on the head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I was asking the boys before we press record, out of this relationship, who is the boy and who is the girl? It hasn't been established yet. And uh, Jason said to let the audience decide. So. Mm. I actually yeah. am very interested to know what people think. <laughs> you can make up your minds over the whole I'm gonna, entire episode. I'm just going to deepen my voice a little bit yeah. as this goes on. Ben's going to paint on a beard. Yeah. We, um, <laughs> yeah, surely there's a function in here that I can add a beard. <laughs> well, we recently spoke to the boys for the Mind Muscle Project, and um, it was apparent that they both had very defined roles in their, mm-hmm. in their business. I'm sure you boys also do. And I was Definitely. kind of there. I was aligning more with Raf's role. Liz was aligning more with um, Lockie's role. And I was like, so that basically means that you're the girl. Oh, Lockie. Damn. That means <laughs> yeah. Ben's going to be the dominant figure in the relationship. <laughs> he kind of, at the end of the day, like does tell me what to do. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think that makes me the wife. <laughs> it. Love it. In a roundabout way, there we go. We've had it. Yeah. We've done already. Um, now, yeah. boys, for our listeners who might not know who you are and what you do, I'd love for you guys to uh, give us a quick intro of yourselves. Yeah. So, um, hi, everyone. I'm Ben, apparently the wife of the relationship. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I've been a PT for, just looking at it before, coming up nine years this year. Um, stepped out of the gym in July to go online full time. Um, but more so together we run STC fit, um, and STC fit learning as well, which is essentially in the gym online personal training as well as um, PT education. So we have like a, a franchise model mentorship and just a straight coaches Academy as well, um, that we've developed over the last Five years, I think. Jason and I have been working together on that. Um, yeah, but I'll let, I'll, I won't talk for Jason, I'll let him introduce himself. Cool. Okay. Yeah, so uh, myself, uh, I've been a PC for, I, I can't really remember now, I think it might be 11 years or something like that. Um, so I graduated out of university with a Bachelor of Exercise Science and Human Movement. So I was just a super overqualified personal trainer. But the goal was always to kind of um, move into the gym. I just, kind of wanted to go the long way around it because I like doing that. Um, I actually coached Ben. So he was one of my clients. So he joined the gym. Um, he actually worked at the gym as a sales consultant. So he sold memberships and uh, we connected and started training each other. And we had this like really cool relationship where he would refer me clients and I would train him. And, you know, we, I guess we built a bit of a relationship from that. Then Ben wanted to become a trainer we kind of trained separately, like we were, you know, mates and just training business, like our businesses alongside each other for a little while. And then Ben decided to approach me with a, with a project, which was STC fit at the start. And um, that's kind of when we, I guess, like joined forces and the relationship really kicked off. Yeah. And then we started out really, of- really professionally from day one. Ben met me at a, Ben met me at a local RSL with a P with a, a yellow uh, piece of A4 paper. Cause he ran out of, white paper it's like document and it had like a border with like flames on the outside and shit that is i'm the absolutely i'm absolutely it's really cool guys i lost really cool. the document it was like it's the most hilarious thing ever is See? it gone it's in the abyss oh, i don't know artifact. where it is i've moved so many, yeah i've moved so many times i'm hoping it's in a box like from one of the like i've got all my uni stuff in there i'm just hoping it's somewhere it's hopefully it, hopefully it's not because there might have been like promises that like never came true and we just <laughs> pretend oh, that that didn't happen <laughs> most definitely <laughs> <laughs> there's always an asterisk at the bottom of a promise you know yeah that's right you know i've so, gone yeah. back to like stuff i wrote at uni or like blogs that i wrote and i'm like oh i was so far from the truth like i wish i didn't come across that old stuff mm. so maybe it's for the better but that's, yeah, part, like that's actually part of the game though if you if you aren't like progressing in knowledge and application 
Oh, that's scary. Could you imagine that's if you scary. actually look back at programming or what you guys even like did as, as mentors five years ago compared to what you mm. do now? And it was still the same. Yeah. Mm. Well, actually, good question from there then. What is something that you guys used to think you were right about and or used to prescribe for clients and now you realize is so off the mark? Uh, I'm going to jump in on this one. So we were, um, you guys will really enjoy this. So early on when we kind of branched out of our little bubble within Good Life in Point Cook, we came across most of our information from the man Charles Poliquin. Mm. Pelican. Um, which, yeah, which lent us, led us down a road of a lot of myths, truths. So um, drive home if you don't have your BCAs. It's a waste of time. Come back when, to, when you have them. Um, <laughs> I remember we defended like tooth and nail one day that you had to separate carbs and fats for meals um, to oh, optimize yeah. body composition. Excellent. Um, they're the like, main to ones. The point, yeah. To the point where we were like, we cherry picked like studies that just like favorably know said that it was better to separate them and yeah, now we just laugh about it all the time yeah uh, oh so man good. i remember a friend's mom asking me for diet advice and i focused so heavily on food timing and i was saying to her that like you know set alarms if you're forgetting to eat every three hours yeah. so you know like her alarm would go off in the car and she'd be like gnawing on a piece of meat as she's driving <laughs> and looking looking back at that advice now i'm like my god that was misguided yeah, Isn't I used to it eat amazing? Every two hours, I think it was. I used to like mm. legit turn into a gremlin if I hadn't eaten every two hours because I was like going to starvation mode, it. right? <laughs> <laughs> and it made me so massive, like eating every two hours, like. <laughs> yeah, and everything you've ever, everything, everything you've ever employed uh, since is basically making you worse, right? Like you were massive back uh, then, but now you just oh, yeah, that's it. I just I hit my peak, and the only way uh, from there was down. So here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I, when, I, when I first moved to Sydney, it was I was um, thrust into the polyquin world. And that Queensland at the time, when I was working in the supplement industry, really didn't have a polyquin influence at all. And then I, I rock up down in New South Wales, and every freaking PT I spoke to was polyquin. And I'd had like forty-year-old men coming in taking seventy pills a day, and I'm thinking, what mm, the yeah. fuck is this all about? And then I realised <laughs> that obviously it sort of uh, kicked off in one of the little private, hyper-expensive gyms in Sydney that. I will not mention because they did not deserve the uh, time of yeah. on our podcast. Oh, you feel that poorly about them? Yeah, I'm not into it. Okay, I think they're sellouts. Um, yeah, so like now I'm like, ah, oh, this makes sense. Like everybody's on the same bandwagon. Everybody's following each other's lead. Nobody really actually reads anything and listens and, and critically thinks. Like heaven forbid that you should do that. So it took me a while to actually get um, the uh, the trust even of client uh, customers down there in a supplement world, which is super simple. Mm -hmm. Trying to tell them, hey, you know what? You can come to a supplement store, spend less money, get the same results, and they'd be like, fuck that, you're wrong. I'm like, and these people have some buy-in on Polygon right now. So Yeah. My coach, before I actually entered the industry myself, my coach at the time was a Polygon follower, and he told me to do a seven-day cleanse, which didn't include any food at all. It was just, uh, what, BCAs. I think there was some sort of like magnesium and protein powder in there. So if we're considering protein powder as a food, maybe, but it was just liquid and pills. And so on the seventh day, I was that brain fried that I just got into a car accident and I was like, thank fuck. It's the last day. And then I got to eat a seaweed salad. I think it was all I ate on the eighth day. Anyways, it was insane. It cost me close to a thousand dollars for these pills and liquid. Mm. And um, thank fuck the industry has progressed since then. Mm. It's, yeah. it's amazing to look back at how compliant, our clients were to that yeah. stuff and we were to that stuff. It's like, it makes no sense. I would never but, not eat for seven days now. Fuck yeah. That. Yeah. No. But you, you, you think about it, you can kind of see how people get caught in these rabbit holes of like, Oh, the new documentary came out and it's extreme. So I'm going to do it. You just get that buy into something that's so different. Yeah. It's just, mm. yeah. It blows my mind that, yeah, I would eat my steak driving in the car because my alarm went off for an almond. Yeah. yeah. Crazy. Yeah, I think um, what's interesting about you boys and one of the reasons we got you on is because you have a um, like a really good blend between people that have started as personal trainers in the brick and mortar, you know, inside the gym. You've progressed that into mentorship and coaching of PTs coming out of the basic bitch programs that don't really know anything and you're upskilling them. And now you're also sort of uh, dipping the toes in the online space too. So you have a really good understanding, I suppose, of the progression of our fitness industry from a brick and mortar point of view, and then also now into the online. So kind of keen to hear um, 
where you guys have seen the greatest amount of change in both coaches and potentially even in clients? Do you want to go here, Ben? Yeah, I think from a coaching, I'll, maybe I'll do coaching and you can do training. Yeah. Um, Cause I seem to be out of the loop with that as an online coach now. Um, but in terms of like training, we followed Poliquin via BPAC. And it was like, that's because I got an email thing about BPAC's kind of muscle hypertrophy thing by a 12-month course. That was the first exposure we had to anything outside of our own gym. It was like, there was the bro there. There was us that were kind of trying to figure it out. And everyone else was just kind of doing, I think CrossFit was popular at the time. So that was kind of a big deal. But there was, there wasn't, Lane Norton had just started on YouTube. Brett Contreras was just starting to post stuff. Um, Brad Schoenfeld was just starting to put out a little bit of information here and there, but that was kind of it. So it was really difficult to find, particularly like myself, I didn't have a university background to go and find information. So when you came across these like gods of the industry, you just took everything they said, like, yeah, that's got to be true because he said it. And I paid an exorbitant amount of money to listen to this bloke talk. So I'm going to do what he says. Um, so I think the biggest difference is, and it's one of the props that we need to give to social media is just the access that we have to information now is far superior to anything we had early days. Um, and I think off the back of that, the average standard of coaching is better than it's ever been. Um, there's still top end and, and bottom end, but I think the average has raised. Hmm. I wonder if as well, what clients expect of PTs has raised as well, which I don't particularly see as a good thing because I mean, as a, you know, a nutrition coach, you're focusing on nutrition as a personal trainer, you're focusing on physical exercise as a physiotherapist, you're focusing on injury prevention or rehab, but like these are all separate fields and have very specific scopes of practice, but clients don't always understand the scope of practice as a personal trainer and as their expectations of the trainer or the coach rise the coach is sort of encouraged um, to work outside of their scope of practice a little bit, which is can be pretty dangerous, mm. which we don't want to yeah, do. So one of the one of the evolutions that we've had as coaches, and I guess that we really try and instill into our mentees and the people that kind of do the education programs and all the stuff that we do, is managing those expectations from the get go as part of like running a business as well. And I guess like starting out, if you're not really confident in running a business, you don't really know how to, you kind of run your business in fear and you know, you can't manage those expectations because the fear is like, you know, telling this person who you really need their business, this is how it's going to work. And this is all I do. But if you look at it, some of the best people in the industry only do only service one, one part, like one niche, you know, they might really be really, really good at just strength training program, but that that's their wheelhouse and people come to them just for that. They don't need to be a powerlifting trainer, a bodybuilding coach, some form of exercise rehabilitation with, you know, the best marathon running programmer of all time, you know, a psychologist, a hairdresser, all of those kind of things. They can just service one thing. So we just, part of our, our beliefs as a, as a business operator is just getting that person to understand this is how, this is your show and how you run it. And you need to manage the expectations of the people you're going to work with, which makes things much easier in the future anyway. Totally. And I guess uh, sets the client up to not only ask you for stuff you can't provide, but be really happy with the end result because they know from the beginning. Mm. Right? I think it also like it, it enables you as the coach or personal trainer, or whatever you want to call yourself, fitness professional to um, open yourself up to getting the clients you're actually seeking to. Mm. So I, I've, I've had a weird dynamic in probably the last six months myself where like I've always kind of wanted to do the contest prep coaching thing. Uh, but I've always also had like a thirst for general knowledge in as many different you know avenues that I possibly yeah. can be in. But I am now essentially exclusively at contest prep minus two athletes up until pro raw for powerlifting clients on a one-on-one basis. They're all contest prep. And I've had this weird um, moment in the f- last few months where I have to step away from trying to read lots of different things and actually yeah. decide, you know what, like my skill set is this. So just really drive up your skill set in that because if you want to be yeah. one of those elite level people in that, that's necessary and you need to like, you know, portion your time appropriately. So yeah, for sure. And yeah, I think that um, if <clears throat> at the start, like people are too, um, like they're too uh, 
encouraged by social norms and expectations, whatever, to know as much as possible. Like you come in and you, you're supposed to be able to prescribe exercise, be able to motivate someone and program something for that person to come in weekly and progressively overload and troubleshoot information. But then they go, oh, well, I need to know the complex level biochemistry and I need to understand this and I need to know all these things about nutrition when really if you get really, really good at the start at being able to program, look at exercise, understand human movement, all of those things that we talk about. And then after that, once you master that, go, cool, where can I take this service to the next level? You know, that's the best approach rather than like looking at everything from like the top to the bottom. And it's like, oh, I need to know about performance enhancement. I need to know about biochemistry. I need to know about nutrition when they can't even like do a, do a squat with somebody. For example, it's like, that's kind of a backwards fallacy or backwards mindset. So people are just trying to rush the game too much. And I guess at the moment we're doing our best. And so are you guys as well trying to change people's beliefs, the industry standard and going, just get really fucking good at what you're supposed to be good at. And then we go on from there. Cause otherwise you're pretty crappy at a lot of things instead of being really good. at. <laughs> yeah. We have a pyramid for nutrition. We have a pyramid for strength now for Mary Collins. We need a pyramid yeah. for entry level PTs coming into the system. <laughs> or maybe do we have one boys? Like what, what, like, yeah, yeah. what is, what is the biggest <laughs> problem you see in the, let's call them the online certificate PT coming into the industry that really need to learn how to actually be a proper trainer. Yeah. Like the like, things that they get wrong. often. Mm. Yep. The first thing I would probably add to that is, we always had the same opinion around like the cert four trainer as well, just in terms of like when they come out of their course, they know nothing, they're useless. Um, we always told our guys when we were teaching, like this is like your white card to get onto the job site. Once you're on the job site, that's where you start to learn. Um, but looking at when we talk about like scope of practice and stuff, what the job of a personal trainer is to do um, and to be fair, we've only taught for one um, course provider. So we worked with ARPT. Um, their programming model was really good. Yeah. Like definitely. not going to track sets and all that type of stuff per week. And there's more advanced models. But if you're providing that programming to um, 90% of the population, you're probably in the top 95% of personal trainers out there at the moment because most of them don't even provide the PT. So I think, I think it's a cultural issue more so than a um, educational issues. Like when you go into the gym, it's like, Oh, I need to entertain this person. Like Jay said, out of fear to make sure they come back. If I give them a program or they won't, um, whether or not the exercise like execution side of it is high enough quality with the online ones. I feel like a part of that comes down to if you're lucky enough to get a good instructor. Mm-hmm. So if you have an instructor who is, that kind of session spectator and hasn't gone to learn further than it is going to be tough for you. But generally speaking, you're going to be okay. Um, but I think that's it. If you can write a really good program, um, get people to move well through that program and then just have a good network of someone, someone or something that you can refer to for nutrition and for like, um, any issues with their movement. So like an osteophysio, something like that, that you have a good relationship with and a decent GP, you can get the job done just with those things. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Sounds simple, but finding a good GP is pretty hard. <laughs> so pretty sure. <laughs> yeah. I'll let you know when I find one for nine years. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're kind of the epitome of what we're talking about. They're a general practitioner. They're yeah. Like, they know lots about a lot. And they know a little about a lot. Actually, yeah. another parallel there is that I have a lot of clients telling me that they had this injury, so they went to the GP, mm. or they wanted to lose weight, so they yeah, went to yeah. the GP, and they don't understand the GP's scope of practice. And yeah. commonly, unfortunately, the GP also does not understand the scope of practice, and they'll freaking prescribe anti-inflams and to never squat again for the knee injury, or duramine for weight loss, mm. or like just remove gluten, man. Like just the worst advice. Like my mom, who knows nothing about nutritional movement, would give better advice than that. So it kind of, you know, really trickles down or trickles up the line to, to others too. Yeah. It's interesting what Dean was saying in terms of just refining in your skill set into that one thing. Um, something that I, I don't know if Jason's experienced the same, but putting together our academy over the last 12 months has really challenged me to kind of not stop seeking knowledge, but like just put on pause for a minute and consolidate everything you've already learned. And then find the holes in that. So when you try and write it down, talk about it, 
give it to somebody to read or whatever. It's like you need to make sure that every box of that's ticked. And if, again, coming back, maybe looping to that beginner PT, it's like, can you do that thing really well? Then cool, all right, maybe go study nutrition, maybe go learn um, some biomechanic stuff so you can advance. But do you know what you're doing really well and have you filled in those holes first? Because mm. um, there's, like we are talking about earlier, there's so much information that you can go down a different rabbit hole every day and never apply anything. Yeah, for sure. I um, used to spend a lot of time working in gyms with other PTs and I feel like I was all over uh, the problems and the trends and stuff at the time. But now that I've moved to the online space, I'm not so much in that world anymore. But I'd love to hear your opinion on what the current trends are. Like at one stage, it was like tempo training. and At another stage, it was like eccentric training, whatever. What's going on right now? It's funny, like the space that, like, I guess being the only face-to-face trainer out of the four of us, mm-hmm. um, the environment that we, that I work in is probably a little bit different just because of the time that I've been in that gym. Like I've been in the same gym for 11 years. So I tend to kind of re- do my best to help with the standard of that environment. So I know a lot of people in that environment kind of follow suit, which is fine, you know, given what I've done over the, the, my career, it's like kind of my obligation now to give back and always come into an environment and raise the standard. That's what we try and do. But I think like the biggest pitfall that people are doing at the moment is just still not systemizing the training service for a client. So it's just coming in and exchanging time with no real sense to the applications um, of the workout itself, like no parameters, no principles, no nothing. So it's just trading time for money, with the goal, with, with a goal at mind, but not actually sitting down and going, how do I troubleshoot or how do I break this goal down into either phases or workouts or whatever, and actually be able to sit there and go to a client. This is what we're going to do now. This is why this is where we're going to move. You know, can you commit to this plan, et cetera, and then kind of move forward. We don't necessarily go through like trends of, of styles of training or, or that I don't see in the gym, but, I just see it time and time again. It's like people just not treating training seriously enough. Like just thinking they're coming in and like just doing movement, doing a bit of workouts here and there Mm -hmm. will kind of move them to where they want to. And like it might for some people, like you've got high responders and whatnot and they can kind of just do whatever. But if you look at most people that kind of fall within the bell curve, it's like they need some form of structured training program plan. And then they need to seek some advice from whoever it is in the nutrition space to help them. And it's just not happening to the extent that, it needs to. Yeah. It sounds like they're becoming, that essentially people that enter into the industry are instructors as opposed to trainers until they recognize the necessity for some structure, which is then when you really become the trainer, you know, like if you could, if you could liken this to like say a team sport, if you had an instructor within a team sport, they're the individual that gets given the protocols from somebody else and they just implement, they don't do anything else. They implement the time for money. They just yell instructions. Yeah. They just follow the follow suit. Whereas the trainer would be thinking about like how does this session situate within the week and so on and so on. So I think it's probably true. Most people that I've seen in my time in that industry coming from the same uh, background as yourself too, Jason, is that individuals without the uh, the bigger picture thinking tend to just aim for pain when it comes to being a trainer. Yeah. Yeah. Annihilate them. Yeah. And they miss out on the the long term approach. Mm. Ben, you mentioned before that you were a face-to-face PT, right? Do you still doing face-to-face? No, not since July last year. Okay. Yeah, cool. Yeah. So now moving to the online space from doing face-to-face, um, I guess this question is to both of you. What do you think the pros and cons are of one versus the other? The ability to communicate and accountability online is, far, is a far greater challenge than face-to-face. So like someone having an appointment with you that they've committed to and showing up, means that you it's much easier to have a coaching conversation with them. Um, whereas I run more of like a check-in kind of model where it's, there's a lot more questions that you would maybe ask in your rest in rest periods over an hour. Now we need to find a way to do that um, via message or video or whatever to communicate with the clients. So that's definitely more challenging. Um, speaking to other online coaches that have experienced similar things. It's less and less now as I work with more and more athletes. Um, But there tends to be 
maybe more so in that gen pop realm of people that are, I'm just going to dip my toe in a little bit and it's online so I can run away when I feel like it. Mm. Um, so people are a lot more, um, a lot more willing to behave in a way that they wouldn't face to face. So just like disappear from all contact or, um, isn't that weird? If they're not, yeah. If they're not happy with the services, you have to, you have to see me and I'm going to ask you face to face. Are you happy with the service? And we're going to have a conversation about it. Whereas the way it's communicated online is typically a little bit different. Um, and it's usually more just like, I haven't checked in for a few weeks and now I'm, mad and it's your fault sort of thing um so that's an interesting kind of wave to ride where i never experienced that face-to-face at all um just because you had that contact all the time yeah um my whole i guess i was lucky in that i developed my online coaching style over three years while i had face-to-face clients so the way it was by the time i left was my clients were online clients that did sessions Okay. So everyone had kind of rolled into that model. So I'd sort of found, okay, what's working, what's not working, refined my check-in process, refined um, what are they going to need when they sign up? What are, what resources do I have to give them? All of that type of stuff was kind of taken care of. And I think that's a really good way to move into it. Um, the appeal of the online life, I think a lot of people have and like knowing your guys story in terms of like Liz, you were in the gym, Dean, obviously working with a lot of people in the supplement store, you guys did a similar thing where it's naturally evolved over time and then stepped into it. It wasn't like I'm going to be an online coach so I can work on the beach in Bali. Oh my God. It's so not like on that. Instagram. <laughs> I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I think that you go that natural evolution's important. I think mm. of having that experience background first before moving online. Yeah. I would agree with you. Yeah. If you want to be a good one too, especially because obviously that is the sort of, that's the, the carrot that's dangled is that you can do whatever you want as a coach. You can work from wherever you want. You can do all this. And the other problem then to flip it on, uh, on the coaches pro uh, issue here is like clients can run away, but so can coaches a lot easier. They can run away a lot easier. And then they can also like push their time uh, further and further and further so that the service becomes more and more regressed and more templated. Because clients aren't paying for a one-hour session. They're yeah. paying for a check-in. Yeah. They're yeah. paying for a particular check-in and they don't really know what goes on behind the scenes and then that coach gets money hungry and, like, you can't really do that as a PT in person. Like, you could try and run 95 sessions, but, like, how long <laughs> would you really last? Whereas you can probably take 100 clients' money and give them shit service for long enough that they basically put up with it and you still make lots of money. Yeah. Theoretically, you should eventually shit the bed. But... Unfortunately, there's people that still do that. Do you know what we've heard of though? We've had coaches, we've heard of coaches take on clients and what they do is they pay someone else, like a small portion of what the client's paying to do the check-in as if it's them. Mm. So like, let's say, you know, I want Michael Jackson to do my check-in and he gives me a little, (laughs) Ben, you've heard of this too. And, you know, (laughs) I get this email reply from who I think is Michael Jackson, but really it's some, some bum off the street. And they're sometimes underqualified, not giving much time and attention. And it's so unethical. It is so not cool. And it happens so much, but the clients never to know. We just hear it because people are kind of like laughing about it as if it's funny and it's not funny. Mm. It annoys me that pages do that, let alone actually the coach is not your coach. That blows my mind. Yeah, it's It's so uncool. As Flex Success Coaches, we cap the amount of clients we can take on at any one time so we can keep our level of service high, which means we have to say no to people and we have to have a waiting list, which if our end goal was money, we wouldn't have a waiting list. We would just like take everyone on at once. But we know that um, we really do value our level of service and that's why we have that cap. So when we hear of coaches like, oh my God, it's you know nearly dinner time and I still have 29 check-ins left to do for the day i'm like are you fucking kidding me yeah to date the best one yet is 150 check-ins in a day apparently (laughs) and i was like do the math right even if you're awake for 16 hours and didn't move it's six minutes a client assuming you never pissed never ate never stopped like like, (laughs) one you're probably inflating it just to stroke your own ego and secondly that's still nothing to boast about it's still not clearly not doing it's not a client it's more than likely a customer which are two very different people yeah. Uh, at least mm-hmm. in my world. Um, oh, for yeah. sure. Because a customer would be someone you're just like selling a generic program to. We're not selling things to our clients. We're educating. Mm. That's why they're not a customer. That's why they're a client. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah. 
Um, what are some other scams that you guys have heard of? Because I would consider that a scam. So Ben, being the salty person out of the two of us, um, I was going to let you kick. Take it, actually. I'm going to let this. Kick. Well, I, like I, I feel slightly uh, sheltered, being kind of half half online and in the gym. Um, so like when it comes to like what happens in the industry and stuff, like I guess especially in the last eighteen months, like I've kind of just had this tunnel vision of like our main purpose and our main outcomes, trying not to get too distracted. Like I've even gone to the point of like just narrowing my focus, even on social media, like, you know, muting some people that kind of take me away from like what I, my, my main purpose for the day or whatever. So I don't really try like know much outside of like people I see in the gym, which is the same thing in terms of scamming in my opinion of just like their obligations as a trainer. Like I know we're really hitting the nail home like today on, you know, just increasing the standard and doing what you're supposed to do. But that's, part of the outcomes that we want to achieve um, in our career, Ben and I of like just, you know, getting people to understand that like personal training is, you know, this, 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 and that, and this is how we do it. So in my opinion, like just the scams that I see daily are just like people not fulfilling their, their role as a personal trainer. And it's still that training, trading time for money and just like giving people workouts for time, like, you know, and not, not having a structured business and not, you know, adhering to goals and, and the purposes of the client understanding why they're there. Like, the end of the day, like I'm interested in what my client does for the weekend on the weekend, but it's after I've said, you know, what have you done this week with your training? Are you, are you happy with how things are going? Are there any issues that we need to identify or have you identified in, in trying to get around them? Then I'm interested in like their weekend. Then I'm interested in, you know, what else is happening rather than it's just a gossip session and they yeah. go away. Hmm. And, yeah. So yeah, I guess that's probably the thing I see the most, you know, which I still think is taking scamming people's money. In my opinion. I would agree yeah. for sure. I think the biggest thing that's going around at the moment is just people selling anything aligned with the gut health. Um, we'll get your stool test done and I will fix your entire life because gut health, um, which a whole episode with Dr. Gabby Fonduro on this topic recently. Oh, you have great. So that's who I was going to reference. It's like, every time I see that, I'm just like either send it to Gabby or send them to Gabby and just be like, mm, maybe think about that. She's such a um, Mm. yeah yeah she's like my anyone that says gut health is my immediately just think of her it's like what would gabby say <laughs> <laughs> we called her because obviously like a one consideration when you're looking at gut health is your poo or stool quality is an indicator yeah. and we were trying to think of a funny name for her like combining poo and expert and we thought of poo spurt didn't really work out <laughs> yeah it doesn't sound like a fun time <laughs> no, no, it, it kind of came out how i imagined it yeah but we still mm. called her the poo spurt on the show. Yeah. Plus, it was it was a hundred percent relevant because if you have poo spurts, you probably need to look at your gut health. <laughs> <laughs> That's very um, But on the on the scam thing, I think it's actually very similar, just as a general industry thing. Like not this, the because most of the specific ones I've heard of are from watching Dean's stories, um, which always give me a good chuckle when he likes to subtly call out people which is really entertaining but i think it's the same thing it's the the pt in the gym that walks out with the preset workout on the whiteboard um that, that does the same workout with five people over there four hours in the gym and takes their money and sends them home mm. i think what's more dangerous about the online space is if you're really attractive or have a good physique you then have subjectively a lot of followers which then means you can subjectively charge a lot of money. And I think the prices that people are charging for the services that they're providing um, is the biggest kind of scam. Like I know the four of us in here, what kind of goes into a check-in and even just the system that's around putting that together for a client. And I see what some people charge for other stuff. I've had like consults with people that just break down in tears that get to the, get to my price presentation and they kind of just start crying. I'm like, well, what's, what, what's wrong? Like I was paying X and then they'll show me what they got. And it's just like clearly a template PDF that's sent to everyone, a template diet. There's no check-in, there's no support. There's no, just like do this. If it's not working, then you know, stop doing it. Yeah. Um, for yeah, like twice the money. It's just ridiculous. And Man. that coach spends a lot of focus and time on just taking hot selfies on the beach <laughs> to sell them instead of spending their time and energy on the client. But I'll yeah. say you know, a PDF is still a, a lot better than just a WhatsApp message. Oh, oh yeah, wow. we know some yeah. Right, that's a thing. Yeah. See, I'm so I have no idea this this goes on. This is yeah. my feelings. 
I think this kind of uh, likens back to like one of the things that I think um, individuals coming into the industry, and uh, I would imagine you guys would be similar as, and you talked about this even a little bit already, Jason, with setting up systems of business, but it's the same with systems of coaching. Like, yep. if you want to be able to like take good care of your client, understand all of the parameters that are important for you to then triangulate whether or not you think they're successful in their week or not. If you don't have systems in play, it is a mere impossibility for you to make an educated guess or an educated opinion on what you should change and manipulate. If there's no systems in place for you as a client from that coach, it's likely that you're templated, you are just a guessing game, or you're just going to be thrown into the depths of the biggest negative you can get just because that will likely get a result. And what I mean by that is, is the calorie uh, implementation will be so severely low because we know it works. And we don't have to worry about mistakes because there's no systems in place. Mm, and overtraining and underfed. Yeah, they yeah. just go to the extreme because the extreme works and it's easy. If someone even fucks up on the extreme, they're still probably going to get results. Um, yeah. So it's a really easy way to coach people in the masses without actually having any clue whatsoever. You know what I just thought of, Dean? Mm-hmm. When Dean did his first ever comp prep for IFBB, he got coached by this fellow. I don't think we'll name and shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dean hadn't ever been coached by anyone before. And I think Dean didn't really have any expectations and no standards were set at that stage. But looking back now, I think Dean essentially coached himself. This guy in a uh, Facebook messenger will just be like, hey, bro, did you lose weight this week? No, okay, well, what did you eat last week? Okay, that's, and then Dean was like, oh, this is what I ate. So Dean essentially would track his data, would do his own spreadsheets, would figure it all out and kind of like provide it to the coach. And the coach is like, oh yeah, just take out 20 carbs. Mm. And we know, we know that's ridiculous because as the coach, you're supposed to be collecting data. You're supposed to be analyzing that data and providing feedback off that. Yeah. Um, but Dean was coached. Don't you think you were coaching yourself? I 100% coached myself. He essentially was a consultant by the end of it. Um, really what that was is like I needed somebody that had a bit of a better idea at the time on uh, performance enhancing drugs and pharmacology, which I didn't really know about. And then instead of it being a full coach, it was just literally that. I created all my own systems so that I could track my own metrics. And I provided him their metrics via a text message every week with a, a recap on what my week was like. And then he would just say, change this, move that. And that's it. Not because he asked so, you for um, it, but because you're such a good client. Yeah, ex- exactly that. It was just- so you probably made, you probably made his check-in process, like not even better. You made it. Yeah. yeah. Like if he had half, if he had half a brain, he would be like, Oh, this is pretty fucking good. And then like, <laughs> I'm going to do this for everyone, but I'm going to do it. Not, or, or if you're smart, he gets all his clients to do it, what you just did to him. Yeah. Imagine that you had that much like notoriety that people did their check in for you. <laughs> yeah, you just hey, coach, make- I did this many steps and I'm gonna eat this much. Like, what do you reckon? And you're just like, That's a yep. fucking great idea, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 80 bucks, thanks. <laughs> Talk about yourself coming fine. Coming full circle to that, um, what you were saying about like the business structures and client structures and stuff. I think something that personal trainers miss a lot, particularly early days when we talk about just kind of like the entertainment trainer, they, they're typically the same. They don't have structure for the business and they don't have structure for the check-in because it's amazing when you actually start delving into that stuff, how much they overlap. Like Mm -hmm. we, we set up, we talked about earlier about setting up like expectations, like just having a client agreement contributes to your client getting results because they know exactly what they have to do every week. They know what the standards are. They know what to expect, creates buy-in, Um, and then from your end, it's like, obviously you can run a more stable business. And then if you take that same approach, it's like, okay, what's my system for a check-in? So it's like, how do I not, for for me early, it was like, how do I not miss stuff? I used to run my check-ins through, um, messenger. I was like, I keep missing things. People put stuff through the week. I go back for check-in and miss it. It's like, oh, I need to make a group so I can just have that person in there and make that work. Mm -hmm. So these like evolutions of how you run your business 99% of them actually contribute to the outcome of the client just by providing a framework for them to plug into and follow. Yeah, that's massive. It's almost like setting up the barriers for for which they work within with you as a client. And I mean, I've seen that concept of uh, the contractual agreement between coach and client being shit canned by individuals before. And uh, I don't know why, Uh, Because my experience is exactly like what you just said then too, Benny, is that basically like the client knows exactly what they're getting into when they come on board with us because they're given essentially a set of guidelines and expectations as to what we think 
what we believe to be necessary for them to get results. Yeah. And then likewise, we're committing to them a particular level of standard that they can hold us to. So we're both on the same path. It's almost like the Uber concept, you know, like if you're a good passenger and they're a good driver, everyone profits. But if one of you fucks it for the other one, well, guess who the ownership lies on? You know, Mm. it's the person who messes with the parameters. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really cool one. Because I would imagine there's still a lot of trainers that just get into this and just exactly that. They're like, they rock up and they go, ah, cool. What are we doing? We're doing this sweet. No worries. See you later. And then they do it again. And they just hit the repeat button forever. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, we sort of train people how to treat us right and i think even um as coaches who set boundaries and expectations from the beginning there's still clients who try and take the piss so you say you know we have a weekly check-in but of course you can contact me if you have a question and then there's those clients that message you like every hour on the hour they blow up your phone instead of emailing or like you know whatever and I learned really early on to redirect them back to, Hey, you remember our agreement was that if these questions aren't urgent, you'll just pop them into your weekly form and I'll, I'll get back to them yeah. quickly. Because if we, we know of some coaches that don't reinforce those boundaries and they end up just burning out because they give you, you give someone an inch and they'll take a mile mm-hmm. and they end up allowing the clients to take more and more and more and more. And that's why there's like what a two year life cycle as a personal trainer in the industry. Like people just burn out so quickly um, so it's really important as a coach to just reaffirm your boundaries for for your client's benefit, but also for yours. Mm. Yeah, I think those parameters of like what your your commitment to your business is and the agreement to the client is important and sticking to them because like we we tell our guys all the time, it's like, what's the week you want to work? And then they, and it's like, what's the perfect one? Like it might not be now, but what are we working to? And then outside of that, we're like, okay, so what are you going to do with the rest of the time? And then making sure that they obviously have other things that they do in life outside of working, which is quite important. But more importantly, it's just like all those blocks that are green, that's when it's business time and you can adhere to the obligations of your agreements with your clients that are a formal written document, which I don't know if personal trainers know what that means. Um, Cause that, you know, you kind of just, Oh, go, oh, get a mate. Oh, let's do some training. Sweet. It's 50 bucks. Let's go. You know, rather than it being a sit down, what are you after? This is the package that we have together. This is how long it is. This is what you get. You know, all of those kinds of things. These are the expectations. Mm. So then they can manage those things and their phones don't blow up. I think the hardest thing, and I probably have a, an extreme uh, example of this because I've got face-to-face and online clients. So I'm doing a bit of both and the contact's crazy. And it's like the phone's going off all the time. How's my lift look? You know, what do you think of this? Um, and it's like, is it in the check-in? Is it important? And sometimes it's just learning to just look at the phone and turn it off or yeah. like, you know, putting do not disturb on or tell like literally looking at the message and leaving it steam. So they get it. And yeah. after a couple of times and you, you, you reply within business hours and then after that you just look at it and then they see it and they're just like, okay, like I'm not going to do that again. Cause he's obviously looked at it and he doesn't want to talk to me. Yeah, And I think, so, again, using that fear that we were talking about earlier, it's like people are like, I have to talk. I have to let them out. I need to go mm-hmm. 24-7 access, 24-7 support. It's like, what the fuck is that? Like, <laughs> We sleep. know a coach that offers 24-7 yeah, support. People, people say it all the time. It's like, well, you don't fucking sleep, bro. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, well, this lady that was offering 24-7 support was getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to check her emails. To well, she'd pee and check them just in case. It's like, That's, what the fuck, man? Yeah, no one. No job literally requires that. No, unless you're like an emergency doctor or something like. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. You're not, it's not shift work. Like you don't have a pager. So it's like, oh, fuck. Nutrition plan. It's 3 a.m. Yeah. (laughs) There's a point in which those macros. (laughs) (laughs) Becomes really disempowering for the client too. Mm. It's like, what what are you trying to build? Are you trying to build someone who's educated, understands what you're doing, is able to make educated decisions and stuff for the rest of their life? Or create a dependency relationship where the client needs you every second of the day. Absolutely. Like that's, that's where I would go with that straight away. It's like coming back to that business systems carry over to client results, like creating that little bit of distance is like, no, you have to figure it out today. And Mm -hmm. I'll reply when your check-in time comes or whenever I, I look at like my notifications or whatever, not at Mm -hmm. nine o'clock at night when I'm kind of having time with my family as well. Yeah. Um, How to fish. Yeah. Yeah. So Jay touched on something really interesting. I'd be curious to ask Dean about, um, we're obviously got powerlifters prepping at the moment and you're obviously prepping 
primarily um, competitors, how often are they contacting you and how you're managing that, I think would be really valuable. Uh, mine actually isn't too dissimilar uh, from week to week for a bodybuilding prep up until uh, about probably the four to six week out mark. Up until four to six weeks out, I'm pretty much very rigid in my response. It's you have a weekly check-in date. If it's not urgent within 24 to 48 hours, it goes into an email. If it's definitely not urgent, it just is a general inquiry. It goes into the feedback form for a once a week reply. And if it's super, super urgent, then you can contact me via other means. Like, but that never happens because nothing's super, super urgent. Mm. Um, and then I just go through all of the parameters. I've had clients before that are like, hey, what do you think about this? And I'm like, you know me. I need to look at all of your data. I won't make a decision until I've done that. So put it in this and I'll, I'll go there. But in contest prep athletes, getting to that four to six week out mark, that's when sometimes I'm playing the game of like trying to get somebody disgustingly lean <laughs> and still surviving uh, or potentially pushing the boundaries a bit with calorie restriction to get them to disgustingly lean in that last few weeks. And in doing so, that's when the nuance of having a skill as a coach starts to really come into play and sometimes i need to actually think on my feet on a three to five to six day rotation it's like hey can you please let me know if your weight shifts more than anything above this because if it does i need to try and decide what we need to do um similarly with like deloads and diet breaks and refeeds and all that kind of jazz so in that last four to six weeks i'm like can you please keep in regular contact but otherwise it's weekly uh even for athletes uh or, or bodybuilders i should say haha <laughs> Asterisk, uh, with that, fun of <laughs> athletes. Um, even for them, like I still like to assess their, at least their intensity in training to make sure that their, uh, their, their technique isn't woeful, but that still goes into a weekly thing. The only yeah. time I up my, my um, attention to detail is in the last four to six weeks for a contest prep athlete is the short answer. Hmm. Yeah, I have exactly the same process um, with my powerlifters. just like once I start hitting singles, um, the, the communication is usually send me your top set when you do it. If I am free, I will respond. Mm -hmm. If not, you're just going to have to go off your prescribed RIR yep. or whatever, um, which yeah, has it is a hectic time when you've got a lot of people getting ready for a comp at the same time. But it's just one of those things, I think, coming into such a finely tuned purpose like that, like for you manipulating those tiny little variables. Um, one cue, cues tend to change when you go into singles from threes or something like that. Um, a lot of the people we work with is kind of their first prep for powerlifting as well. So it's the first time they've done really heavy singles and it's, oh, that's definitely a um, one RRR. It's like, mm -mm, you got at least three more in that. Up you go. Um, or vice versa. You have people coming with too much ego. It's like, yeah, that's like, that was shallow or whatever. Um, so making sure you're on that kind of four weeks out's imperative to be able to perform on the day and, coming back to what you said earlier, Liz, in terms of like, what's the most challenging part? Definitely the prep side of it is just not seeing the lifts in real life. Only for those, that last three weeks um, mm. or four weeks, like heavy lifting. It's, it's, definitely, definitely, it's certainly the same for me too, though, because like photo quality makes such a massive difference to my interpretation yeah. of their physique. And lighting. And lighting and all the rest of it. So like, it's mm. kind of nice sometimes to have a client that gives me really shitty lighting and then I see them in person. I'm like, holy yeah. fuck, you're way longer than I thought. <laughs> yeah, you look way better in real life. <laughs> for the mo and I'm like, god damn, I'm really sorry for pushing you. Like, <laughs> But for the most Here's part... All the carbs now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for the most part, it's the other way. Like people are giving you, you know, advanced photos. So like as a contest prep coach too, like the back end, I'm actually starting to then ask for a little bit more um, specificity to check-in photos even. It's like, hey, I actually want to see you under good lighting with a pump in a mirror, you know, because that's what you look like on stage. And then I also want to look, look, see what you look like in the morning with no pump. And Flat. I think and just like, just like powerlifting training, Benny, like anytime you hit essentially like hyper-specificity or overreach, attention and requirements go up because you're on the knife's edge of potentially going south. So that's the only time I think I'm allowable for that kind of information going up in uh, frequency of contact. Mm. But it is concerning when contact frequency um, is the other way where clients are so quiet, ask no questions, never contact you. And you think, are you even doing anything that I've asked of you? Like, how do you not have any questions? Mm. How have yeah. you not had any yeah. problems? So there's definitely a, a huge middle ground of sort of the, the contact that we want from our clients. Um, yeah, and I just, I wanted to make that point because it might sound like we're trying to say like, stop bugging us so much clients, but that's not at all what we're saying. Mm. It's just, you know, be within the boundaries and, and respect working yeah. hours. 
Um, But man, I love questions from clients because it shows that they're actually paying attention and they're listening and they're trying to figure out how that works for them. Mm. So it helps you, helps you formulate, um, helps you formulate content for your audience as well. Like question sections for check-ins for our clients are like, okay, so this is, these are the topics for the week. Um, Mm. if they're, especially if they're quite common and it's like, all right, well, we need to dig deeper on this. We need to put these, these, this piece of information, or we need to, you know, bust these myths in our education portal that we've got for our clients and stuff like people aren't getting the message or whatever. So encouraging people to ask questions is great and making sure that clients aren't not asking questions in fear that, you know, your coach doesn't want to answer them or whatever. It's like, we actually do like, especially if mm-hmm. you nerds, like the four of us, it's just like, we like good questions. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah there's, I have one client who like accumulates a fuck ton of questions at the moment in prep, but he's like, man, I just think him throughout the week, I dump him in there. Like, even if you don't answer it, every time I see him, I'm like, whoa, fuck, this is a big check. <laughs> by the end of it, I'm kind of like pumped up because I'm just like, yeah, man, yeah. this and then this, and this is the reason why I do yeah. this, and this is the consideration here. Yeah, and he's like, this that's is the it. best experience ever. And it's kind of like, it actually does make me thrive as a coach because that's what I kind of want to do. Yeah. I want to teach yeah. you. Yeah. Get a kick out of it. Yeah. yeah. These questions help us identify maybe what we're not explaining so well as well. Because if they have a question like, oh, I thought I explained that. But obviously you didn't do a good job if there's still questions. Yeah. <laughs> so it helps you yeah. refine those explanations. Mm. Yeah, it's certainly a thin line to walk to just in terms of like we put so much time and effort into the, I guess, the service that goes out to the client. Some clients, like you said, that guy that's like asking all these questions all the time, I've got a couple of those as well. And then I've got some that do not care. Mm. It's like their health and fitness is outsourced for me for a reason. If I ask them <laughs> something, they will give it to me, but they don't care why they're doing 120 sets a week. Like yeah. I'm mm. not interested, make me look good. Um, so I kind of, again, coming back to that kind of like preset expectations is like, here's everything that I know that you need to know. If you want to know anything else, questions, questions, questions. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's when it becomes, I think the other part of it that maybe coaches don't think about personal trainers. Don't think about when you're face to face, you can look at somebody and go, Ooh, it's, you're a little bit off straight away. Um, whereas online, it takes a little bit to start to learn like, okay, what's their normal um, mood like? How do they typically communicate? What language do they normally use? How do they usually speak about themselves, their training and nutrition, their life, etc.? And then it's like all of a sudden, Ooh, that's a really negative check-in. Their photos mm-hmm. maybe don't even look any different. Data's all kind of the same. What's happening there? Have we overreached them with not enough food, too much training? Or do I need to ask about something else that's going on in their lives? Like all of these kind of effects play in to that and answering and asking more questions is invaluable for a coach to be able to say like, okay, I'm getting to know this client and I can see the waves of stuff of what's happening with them as an individual and be able to coach them through that. Oh. Yeah, for sure. What I love about being a face-to-face PT and now moving online um, is that, you know how you were saying when you see someone face-to-face, you can think, well, you're off. We ask for videos if we're controlling the programs of people. And sometimes they can be way off with the way they lift, right? Like, is that a squat or is that a good morning? Like, mm. what's going on there? And <laughs> what I found I really developed and sharpened as a face-to-face personal trainer is the way I can cue someone and just give like a short little explanation and like, oh, I totally get that, um, mm-hmm. you know, but if, I think if you go straight online, then perhaps it's a little more difficult because you haven't said those cues thousands of times, figured out what most people understand, um, especially if you're someone who actually doesn't train that frequently themselves and are getting people to train, you don't know how that feels and like what that's like in practice. So I think yeah. because... We've all, you know, coached people in the past face-to-face, even though Dean's never done PT, he has worked as a strength and conditioning coach. Um, and we all train frequently ourselves. It's just a killer combination to, to help other people. Mm. Yeah, exposure yeah, to that stuff allows you the opportunity to refine your craft, both in spoken and in physical, I suppose, um, explanations. So there's, there's always going to be a part of coaching that just is developed over time that not everybody can be taught. You know? Yeah. What was the yeah. one that Alex... Alex Cones said. I love that you called him Alex Cones. His name's actually Alex Connors, but my bad. He he, he made his Instagram (laughs) Cones, and now everyone thinks he like is a fucking pothead and 
He's like, fuck, man. And then he turned pro as a bodybuilder. He's like, fuck, now I'm known as Alex Cones as this pro. Oh, man, this is all bad. Anyway. So, um, he's like that typical, like, lumbar lordosis, duck butt, and hamstrings don't engage properly, gets lower back pain. He's now massive, so it gets worse, blah, 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 you know? And I would have said to him, you know, like, think about tucking your tail between your legs when you're trying to do 90-90 breathing or whatever it may be, right? And he, he never really ever said, yeah, it's good, it's bad, or it's indifferent. One day I'm having a conversation with him and this is the win of the conversation because you can obviously go back and forth as opposed to online. It's like, answer this question and I'll get back to you when you give me the answer. Is he goes, oh, I said something to him about the same cue and he goes, oh, you mean like, yeah, like um, point your asshole to the ground. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh, yeah, I know that one exactly. I can do that, no problems. I was so like, that got him fuck. to do posterior pelvic tilt. <laughs> Point your asshole to the ground. He needed he needed to be spoken yeah. to like a true stoner. <laughs> <laughs> As opposed to me saying tuck your tail between your legs. I don't have a fucking tail. How would I tuck it? You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd not heard that but, one before. Yeah. Point your asshole to the floor. Mm, that works. Yeah, I like one. it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I've there never seems used that be... one with a client, but I might. Yeah. There seems to be like a negative connotation around big box gyms in this uh, we try to avoid like the titles as much as possible. Like that evidence-based trainer kind of space where it's like, Oh, you work at a big box gym, blah, blah, blah. Or I don't want to work at a big box gym because I'm too good for it. That kind of attitude kind of stands, stands out a little bit. But I think if you can take Susie that hasn't exercised since year seven, um, who's now got two kids and in her thirties and teach her from a, a squat to a bench to progress her up to a barbell. When you get, an athletic population type client who's exercised regularly their whole lives, that stuff's so easy. And like online, if you can progress someone from that kind of station, that kind of nowhere to all the way through, that's where you build those skills of like, yeah, this is just do that. Just point your asshole to the floor. Oh yeah, that works. Like those, (laughs) those cues just kind of build over time. I feel like this is a tremendous segue to the last little section before we get into the fun stuff. And that is obviously the, Something the title. Something about assholes? No, the, yeah, the title of our, our podcast is How to Be Less Shit. Oh, it is. And yeah. shit is related I love that. to the <laughs> asshole that tucks to the ground. So, <laughs> um, fellas, for maybe maybe we can do, uh, do a little bit of your specialty right now, I suppose, is both in coaching but also in um, mentoring uh, personal, personal trainers in here. So how can a personal trainer entering the industry be less shit? And then if you want to add anything else on top of that into your own personal space, please uh, provide for that. For the listeners, the ear people, Ben. And, and yes. Uh, so how can a personal trainer be less shit? Um, have an understanding of human movement, um, basic muscle anatomy and physiology. Um, have a good mentor who's got runs on the board who, uh, you can, who actually can prove to you that they've done that. Do you know anyone? Uh, yeah. <laughs> we might know a couple of dudes. Well, yeah, we might know a couple of guys. Do it. <laughs> you know, married, but not married. <laughs> <laughs> um, be able to... Understand the theory, be able to apply it and be able to review it. And that's, we, that is the thing that we, we have ran our business off for the last three years, four years is like, it's all good and well to go to a seminar and get excited about information. And then Monday, you're just like, I'm excited. I know shit, but I know what the fuck to do. It's like, be able to apply the information and then review it and go, was that successful? How do I make this systemized and repeatable? Because that is where your business and your the ability to get your results with your clients lie. And that's mm. what you teach PTs that come to you to learn how to have a better business. Yeah, we we honestly have systemized everything. Like we've systemized squat, bench, and deadlift progressions. We systemized how to get more clients. It's like we've systemized how to, you know, build your your daily routine. Like we have literally systemized everything because. Like as the, was it like James Clear? It's like where you don't rise to the level of your goals, you fall to the levels of your systems or something like that. And it's like, if you have the systems there, then the behaviors fall into place and the outcomes get achieved. And I guess as corny as it, as it is, it's like you kind of always fall in love with the process because like you get that instant reward from, you know, partaking in the behaviors that are moving you to the outcome. So that's, that's it. That's what we do. I love it. It's corny, but it's true. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. It's like everyone that gets good results, like kind of falls in love with the process and just does it often. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I would add to that is just understand like thoroughly actually conceptualize the fact that you are a small business owner. 
Yeah. So particularly if like you, if you're in a rent model gym, but even if you're not run your business, like you're not um, that you need to run what you do as a business. So client outcomes, client service, how you systemize everything, how you put everything together is actually really, really important to your longevity in the industry. Um, I think Liz, you mentioned two years is kind of like the cap. I think in terms of like average, how long they average kind of going into a big boss club is actually closer to six months. And then those that last are usually gone within two years. Yeah, And it's simply because, yeah, this is probably like we talked about the, the course earlier. This is probably one of the bigger holes in the course. So people don't know how to communicate well enough to do a consult, to buy, build value and then sell and then keep a client um, long-term. And those, like Jay said before, like, oh, g'day, mate. You want to do PT? It's 50 bucks. Pay cash. They don't come next week. Now what do I do? Mm. Um, have inconsistent incomes. The accountant doesn't look at you friendly. The bank doesn't look at you friendly. And you start looking at like, well, I can just go collect my paycheck over here for X amount per hour and just do that. So, yeah, I think that will make you a better trainer if every time you walk out to train a client or sit down to create content or put together a system for your business, you are a business and you're representing that business in everything you do. Yeah, I like that. If there's any trainers listening, though, that think that they could benefit from what um, Jason and Ben do, please do reach out. At the end, we'll get you guys to give your your contact details. um, I, I love that you guys are pushing the industry forward. So thank you for what you do. Thank on you. behalf of all the trainers and clients that benefit from those trainers yeah. too. Absolutely. Very welcome. Put a lot of trust in the PTs, don't they? Yeah. yeah. I really like the concept of that. Yeah, create systems before you try and create wealth because without the systems, your wealth will hit the shitter anyway. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. All right, fun times. Thanks, boys. So because uh, you guys are avid listeners of the podcast, of course, uh, you know that our first little segment here is something worth sharing. So if you boys have anything worth sharing to the, the people that are listening, that would be much appreciated. Yeah, we're going to do a semi, semi shameless plug because they're both free. Um, <laughs> is the, the Just Get Good Facebook group, um, which I think you guys are both in as well. Yes, we are. And have contributed at times. So just a resource for personal trainers and or nerds really that want to learn about um, training, business, mindset, theory, all that type of stuff. Um, and then the STC Fit Learning podcast as well. We're on Spotify, iTunes, all the normal places. Um, I think we're up at like 82 episodes or something. Yeah. Um, if you do have a scroll through, there's one with both Lizzie and Dean and, Dean, and then yep. there's one with Justine and then there's one with Dean and Will. And Shannon. Um, plus, I th- yeah, we've got Shannon yeah. and yeah. Dalton on there as Dalton. well. Yep. Yeah. So there's, there's not many of you guys that we haven't had on actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's true. Add to the list. Just Nick and, Nick and, and Alan. Alan. Yeah. Alan. So they're, for yeah. listeners that don't know, they're the other Flex Success coaches that we mm. just mentioned. All right. Yeah. yeah. Lightning around questions, obviously two answers for each. We'll try and keep them short and sharp. Uh, you're in the last batch of these two questions. So depending on what podcast you've listened to, what number you may know, then you may not. Because we change the questions every 10 podcasts. So if so, you uh, knew that you were dying tomorrow, how would you choose to die and why? <laughs> uh, I would die from overeating on donuts. <laughs> Because I love them, it's my tradition. Uh, hot cinnamon donuts or some sort of chocolatey. Yeah, uh, I'm a I'm a Nutella glazed. Yeah, you know, it's a bit gluttonous, but that's my thing. That I is my thing. You went straight gonna... to food. That's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> what are you gonna do, like under a barbell or something? <laughs> I would I would I would go in um, a flaming car accident. Really? So this is a bit yeah, this is a bit morbid, but I've always had this thing that like if I ever had a sign of like dementia or anything like that, I would just cash in all of my chips, buy a supercar and just go as fast as I can and crash into the biggest thing I can. Mm-hmm. Just be like, that's it. Would you want like a, like spectators around or would you do it in the middle of the Definitely night? not. No. Okay. no yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's good really to say it's about it. Convertible, like it, over yeah. the edge, everybody's watching. This is my freedom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to just vanish off the planet. That's fine. Right. <laughs> the second like question is, uh, what is something that people don't know about you? That I can't swim. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how to swim. <laughs> you just never learned or you were just bad at it and gave up? Uh, I got like heaps of ear infections when I was like in that stage where you should learn how to swim. Okay. So then like mum was just like, you know, avoid the problem. Um, don't go in the pool. <laughs> 
And then, so then from every, every year at like school, when it was like swimming day, you know, I was sick or I just didn't go. Right. It's just cause I, did, I it's just cause I didn't want to be put in a race and, and jump in and die. Couldn't you just wet your plugs or something? Um, I don't know. I'll, I'll ring my mum and ask. <laughs> <laughs> Benny? I've got nothing. Hey, it's, I feel like there's everything is on some form of YouTube or podcast. It's documented somewhere. somewhere where we rip you have like a weird time. nipple. No weird nipples. Okay. Nothing, nothing strange. Some weird medical situation. Weird you've been food in, like. Mm. I like all the weird foods. All right. What's the weirdest food that you enjoy? Oh, geez. You've had my stomach. Yet. Yeah. Ask Jace. Jace will have the best one. Oh, That's the weirdest thing I Ben eat. always has the most random concoctions of everything. Like he'll be <laughs> like, oh, I, I've just put like sour cream with like, you know, jam and I've got rice crackers and dipped it together and it tastes amazing. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> you eat like a fucking poor 15 year old single. <laughs> like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, are you kidding me? Like, you know, yeah, when you just first... like, oh, it's delicious. I'm like, no, it's not. Yeah. You know, when you first learn macros and you just like, there's a protein, there's a fat, there's a carb, and you just put yeah. stuff on a plate. You have to still do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, let's eat rice and jam. Yum. There you go. I'm a shit cook, guys. That's what you don't know about me. Before yeah. you're, you're pregnant, you just like yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, constantly. The final round for you both is a would you rather from the game shitty choices. So uh, Dean's picked a bunch of cards at random and I'm going to pick out of the bunch. He's a savage. These uh, some, can, of some of these are pretty fucking bad. Would you rather? <laughs> yeah, who's this too? Uh, ben, Ben. Would you rather have vaginas for ears or penises as fingers? <laughs> Definitely vaginas for ears. Mm. Would you get ear infections then? That <laughs> <laughs> means you'd have. I feel like I could wear a beanie, and I don't think I could deadlift with penis fingers. <laughs> would you have to get a boner before you lift it or something? Yeah, but then you can't wrap around. <laughs> yeah, be even worse. It's like on the yeah, it'd be a fully extended deadlift. But let's just, <laughs> but you could you could call on Gabby if you did have vagina ears too, because she could help you out with infections. She could. Yes. <laughs> right. no, excuse me, Gabby. Quick question. I've got a yeast infection in my ears. In my left vagina. Continue on. Uh, Jason, <laughs> would you rather see what was behind every closed door? Or be able to guess the combination of every safe and lock on the first try. Oh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with the safe and combination, just so I don't seem like a creep. <laughs> <laughs> what if nobody knew that you could see them? Oh, the door for sure. Okay. <laughs> if right. no one knew that I could do it, it'd just be the door out of my own curiosity. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, boys. Where can everybody find you if they want to find you guys? I'll do the spiel, Jace. So yeah, at you're, ben the, Scott, you're, the, you're the guy. You're the guy. Yeah. Uh, so at Ben Scott SC for myself, at Jason Glea underscore PC for Jason. Uh, main ones are at STC Fit underscore learning. So that's kind of coaching, education-based stuff. At STC Fit is our online coaching uh, content. Just Get Good on Facebook um, is the private group. Talk all the training stuff. Spotify, iTunes, if you just search STC Fit. Um, our podcast will come up as well. Amazing. We'll chuck all that in the show notes too. So thanks very much, everyone. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for having us on. Bye. Bye. Bye.